This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get more and great investing content. If you're listening on YouTube, also hit the like button on this video and any other platform, your five-star rating and review are a great way to support the show. Thank you for your support. So today's topic is what is intrinsic value? Now, I think for some people, they might hear this topic and think, oh, I know what intrinsic value is. I'm going to skip this and move on. Well, you can, but I have found that my views on intrinsic value are not necessarily the mainstream view. And if you're interested in challenging your understanding of what it means to buy stocks based on intrinsic value, then I encourage you to listen to the show. So the reason for this episode is I've been reading a lot recently about various different companies, various different stocks. Um, I've listened to and seen a lot of discussion online, especially on Twitter, about valuing companies, um, how companies should be valued on their cash flows, valued on their earnings, valued on their revenue, lots of different metrics being used to value companies. And I wanted to clarify my thoughts on what intrinsic value is and what intrinsic value is not. And when I've done so over the recent week, um, posting on Twitter, I've gotten a lot of feedback that suggests that there's broad disagreement on my definitions of intrinsic value. So I'd like to present to you them in this show, kind of discuss some of the reasons and rationale for them, as well as give some examples and metaphors that I think explain my reasoning. So I sent out this tweet that said, be very careful when describing an asset's value. You need to define your terms. They matter. And here is where I want to define the definition of intrinsic value. To me, intrinsic value is the net present value of all future distributions of cash. Specifically, intrinsic value is not the net present value of free cash flow. Intrinsic value is not the net present value of owner's earnings. Intrinsic value is not any of those things. Intrinsic value is the net present value of all future distributions of cash. This includes distributions of dividends, distributions of share buybacks, and final liquidation distributions. 
extrinsic value, which means value ascribed to an asset that is not the intrinsic value, is the market value as determined by others for any other for any reason at all. You see, intrinsic value, the, that definition, that word intrinsic means relating to internal value, related in value in and of itself. What is the value of an asset that that asset is going to throw off in and of itself? It's cash flows that it throws off to investors is where the intrinsic value comes from for an asset. Extrinsic value is the value that other people might value something for. They might value it for its cash flows, but they might also value it for many other reasons. There might be prestige associated with owning that asset. There might be luxury associated with owning that asset. This is often seen with ownership of NFL teams, NBA teams, NHL teams. When you own these prestige assets, it gives you some sort of status in society. And so you get seen to be an important person. And so people are ascribing value to that prestige that is not based upon the value of the cash flows, which means that they're being valued on their extrinsic value, the value as seen by others and not the value inherent of itself, the value of the cash. Now, I think this is important because as value investors, we want to buy assets at prices below their intrinsic value. The goal is not to buy assets at prices below their extrinsic value. So you need to be very careful again when describing an asset's value. What do you mean? Are you worried about how other investors would value that asset? Are you worried about what other people may be willing to pay you for that asset? Are you worried about what private companies would be willing to buy that company out for you for that asset? Or... Are you worried about the intrinsic value of the asset itself? You know, I claim to be a value investor because I want to focus on buying companies at prices below their intrinsic value. Now, it is often true, but not always, but it is often true that a company's extrinsic value is higher than the intrinsic value of the cash flows. I find this to be true amongst many different companies. The market prices in today's market in 2020 require that a vast majority of companies are trading above their their intrinsic value. And that's fine. That's reasonable in some cases. But you have to be aware of this. You have to understand what's going on. Now, a key point here is that there's uncertainty. We don't know what the intrinsic value of an asset truly is because we don't know what all future distributions of cash are. You see, I defined intrinsic value as the net present value of all future distributions of cash. That includes your dividends and your buybacks and liquidation cash. What it does not include is current earnings. It doesn't include next year's earnings. It doesn't include five-year earnings. 
It doesn't include current free cash flow. It doesn't incur, in, include next year's free cash flow. If current cash flow and current earnings are not paid out as dividends, and you know they won't be paid out in the future, then there's not value to the investor in those cash flows. However, the statement I just made included words like no or certain. Certainty is very important because certainty almost never exists. We are uncertain about the future. We are uncertain about future dividends. We are uncertain about future share buybacks, and we are uncertain about final liquidation values. Therefore, it's common, and I would argue reasonable, to estimate intrinsic value using net present value of free cash flows. This is a commonly accepted practice among value investors, and it makes a lot of sense. We know current free cash flow. We know current distributions. We do not know future free cash flow, and we do not know future distributions. But it is often easier to estimate future free cash flow than it is future distributions of cash. But if you did know that no future distributions would occur, if you know that a company will never pay dividends no matter what, then that should change the way you think about that company. That means that the intrinsic value for that company is starting to approximate zero because you're unable to get any of your money back from the company. Once you put money into that company, the only way you will get your money back is if you sell it to someone else. The only way you will get your money back is if you are able to capitalize on the extrinsic value of the company versus the intrinsic value of the company. The intrinsic value comes solely through the cash flows that are paid to you as a shareholder. If no cash flows are paid to you as a shareholder, if you do not receive dividends, if you do not receive share buybacks, and the company never liquidates, then the value to you is zero. Now, the responses I have received about this idea is very interesting. The first one I think is worth bringing up is that this is an extreme view. I don't really consider this an extreme view. What I will accept is I think this is a conservative view. I think this is a view that is intentionally conservative to prevent me from overvaluing companies. And I and this specifically prevents me from overvaluing growth companies that can that retain all of their capital to grow the company. Um, I also think it's a non-mainstream view. The mainstream view is basically that intrinsic value comes from the net present value of your free cash flow. The problem is, and as I've talked before in previous podcasts, I think this can suffer from double counting. When you're worrying about the current free cash flow and the growth on that cash flow, Without regard to dividend policy, you can get into trouble because you're going to start valuing cash flows that are being reinvested and taking credit for the growth of those cash flows. And you need to be very careful about that. Um, it can work and it can be a good approximation if you were to know that a company is going to pay dividends 10 years from now, but they're not doing it now because they can grow their money faster than you can then it makes perfect sense for the company to retain the earnings and not to pay you a dividend. But if they never pay you that dividend, then that's a problem. 
Because the only reason a company should be retaining its earnings is because they believe they can pay you higher dividends in the future than if they didn't retain those earnings. If they're making that decision for any other reason, if they're making that decision to pay executives, if they're making that decision to pay shareholders, if they're making that that decision in order to build an empire or to solve global warming or to go to the moon or to go to Mars or to cure cancer, those are all great things to be done, but they do not affect the intrinsic value of the shares to shareholders. They are great extrinsic value indicators for society. They are great for the world, but they are not great for shareholders. And the second objection that I received to this idea was, well, what about Berkshire Hathaway? What is their cash worth if they're not distributing it to shareholders? And I think this is a really good example because Berkshire Hathaway is the pinnacle company that value investors have looked for over the last few decades to say, this is a company that's not paying dividends. This is a company that has retained all its earnings in order to grow. And it has been very successful. And Warren Buffett has been a great steward of their capital because the growth has been profitably invested. Free cash flow has continued to grow stably and successfully. And the money, although mistakes have been made, has been invested in a manner that has allowed the compounding to work over a long period of time. Such that if Berkshire chose to pay out dividends today, they could pay out a very large dividend. And this is what you see. Now, they're not paying cash dividends. They're paying dividends through the form of share buybacks and increased ownership in the business. But that is sufficient for my definition. If you're returning cash to shareholders, either through dividends or share buybacks, that is functionally equivalent for calculating intrinsic value. They both increase your shareholder return yield, which means they both have value. So Berkshire's cash is worth approximately what the cash is on the balance sheet because we know now that Berkshire will pay out its cash to shareholders. Now, there was a time in the past, not so recent past, before they implemented a share buyback program where it was a reasonable question to say, well, what if Berkshire never pays out a dividend? And in that case, Berkshire could be worthless because if they were never to pay out a dividend, then that means at some point in the future, let's say 2050, it's possible that Berkshire would have declared bankruptcy due to some unforeseen liability. And having not paid out a dividend at any point in its history, all the shareholders having invested would have invested in a worthless asset doesn't matter how much value creation occurs in the interim if ultimately shareholders get nothing when the company goes bankrupt. And in general, almost all companies eventually go bankrupt or they liquidate. They either go bankrupt or liquidate. Well, if they're not going to liquidate, which is what's implied by saying they will never pay a dividend or never distribute capital, then that means they will eventually go bankrupt, which is why this uncertainty is important. We don't know if a company is going to go bankrupt. We don't know if they're going to liquidate, and we don't know when they're going to pay dividends. But the easiest way to tell whether a company is going to do something in the future is to look at what they've done in the past. Now, this is no guarantee. There's no guarantee that companies will pay dividends in the future if they've paid dividends in the past, but you can tend to learn about the corporate culture from those types of actions. 
And Berkshire is an interesting case because although they didn't pay dividends in the past, it was always under the claim that Berkshire could grow the capital at a higher rate than investors could otherwise receive. But over the last 10, 20 years, Berkshire has been starting to say that they would pay dividends when the company reached a point where they grew too large and they could no longer profitably invest the capital. They have reached that point now and they're starting to have to return capital shareholders in order to continue to retain their target returns on capital. And I expect this to continue and accelerate as Warren Buffett passes away sometime in the next 10 to 20 years. And when that occurs, you should see a large and growing dividend from Berkshire Hathaway. And if you didn't, it would be worrying because when you're at a market cap of $500 billion, it requires the company to pay out $50 billion a year in dividends or to grow its earnings by at least 10% per year in order to provide shareholders a 10% return on their equity. Those are the only options. It is either pay out sufficient dividends to provide a 10% dividend yield or grow earnings at a 10% rate or higher or some combination of the two. The addition between dividends and growth needs to equal at least the rate of return investors expect from that investment. So if you want that 10% rate of return, you need $50 billion in dividends being paid out from Berkshire. And when I look at Berkshire Hathaway, I don't believe that's possible, which means the only way to justify a $500 billion valuation on Berkshire Hathaway is continued growth in the earnings capability of the company for some period at least. This also illustrates why I've always found it difficult to value Berkshire Hathaway because although their assets are quite valuable and I think individually many of their assets are very, very attractive, I think it's very hard to justify a growing market cap (coughs) beyond a certain level because it is exceedingly rare for a company to ever achieve annual earnings of $50 billion or more. Um, I believe Apple is unique in that possibility along with a couple other companies, specifically I know oil companies like ExxonMobil have reached close to that number if not exceeded it on a one-time basis. And then I know Saudi Aramco is in a similar framework of how much money they might earn in a single year. But it is exceedingly rare. So no, I don't think Berkshire is worthless, but it is a good counterexample and it should give you some thought. But what the interesting thing is about Berkshire Hathaway is that Berkshire Hathaway is rare. How many companies do you know that are like Berkshire Hathaway that have retained earnings for decades, never paid out any dividend, and have compounded at such a high rate that investors actually want the company to retain all the earnings? There aren't many of them. You might be able to name one or two. Maybe you can name five, but you can't name 30. So if you're trying to develop a diversified portfolio of those types of companies, you're going to come up short. And it's because those companies are exceedingly rare. And you also have to be wary of survivorship bias. Berkshire Hathaway succeeded in retaining their earnings in this way. 
but it's very easy to overlook perhaps the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of companies who retain their earnings for their entire corporate history before disappearing into bankruptcy, never having sent dividends to shareholders, and never having returned any capital to its shareholders. So I want to challenge you today to think about an example here. Here's a hypothetical example that I want you to consider. Imagine there's a bond. Could be a government bond, could be a corporate bond, I don't care. This bond has a 0% interest rate, which means that not only do they not make interest payments, so it's not like they were this bond was created at a 5% interest rate and the current interest rate on it is 0% because it's implied to be um, that based upon the new price. No. This bond is issued with a 0% interest rate. They pay no coupon payments. There are no ongoing coupon payments. And this bond will default prior to returning your capital. So bonds typically have two parts. They have the coupon payments plus the return of principal. This bond has a 0% interest rate and the person who created the bond is going to default and not pay you back your principal before the bond comes due. How much are you willing to pay for this bond? Think about it for a second. It's it's not trying to be a trick question, but think about it. How much would you pay for a bond with a 0% interest rate that you are 100% certain will default before returning your principal? Now, the answer, or at least my answer, is I would pay $0. I would be unwilling to buy that bond at any price because I'm not going to receive any cash flows from it, and I'm not going to receive my money back at the end. So I consider the bond worthless. Now, let's flip this on its head. My argument is that if I knew with certainty that a business would never distribute cash, it would never distribute dividends, it would never buy back shares, and the company would end up in bankruptcy before ever liquidating any of its assets to shareholders. Now, the keyword is with certainty. Nothing's ever certain. But if I knew with certainty that a business would never distribute cash, then the company is fundamentally worthless to shareholders. I don't care if the company currently has revenues of $10 million, $100 million, or $200 billion. The size of the company is irrelevant if you know with certainty that the business will never distribute cash. I don't care if the company has free cash flow now. The certainty here implied means that they're going to use that cash. They might grow for a period of time, but ultimately will end up in bankruptcy before they ever pay a dividend. That company should be valued at $0. The intrinsic value of that company is $0. Now, the extrinsic value of the company is not going to be 0 The market cap is going to be much bigger than 0 But the intrinsic value of shares in that company are 0 because I believe there is no fundamental difference between equity that doesn't distribute cash ever, and I'm emphasizing ever, and a bond with a 0% interest rate that not only doesn't make interest payments, but also defaults prior to returning your principal. Because they are functionally equivalent. 
Both bonds and equities are securities issued by companies. Equities are issued as a security that has no coupon payments, no guaranteed coupon payments at least, which means the coupon payment interest rate is 0%. There's no guarantee that equity holders will ever receive anything when a company takes their money. If you invest in an IPO, there's never going to be a guarantee that you'll receive your principal back. Now, it's uncertain. There's always a chance you do. There's always a chance you do make money. And the examples I'm here saying are based on certainty. Once you introduce uncertainty, then that means there's a chance that a company that doesn't pay dividends today might pay dividends in the future, which means that although the intrinsic value is unknown because you don't know what will happen in the future, and you might estimate that intrinsic value based upon free cash flows instead of dividends, the intrinsic value itself comes from the dividend payments and nothing else. There's really good examples out there that I think this can be applied to. I hesitate to share them because I think there's a lot of emotion around them and people don't think rationally about it. But I think there's good reasons to understand these issues. I've talked about Amazon before, but I think they're another good example. Amazon does not currently pay a dividend. Um, They earned about $11 billion in profit in 2019. I think it was $11.5 billion in profit in 2019. But they do not pay a dividend, and they also continuously dilute shareholders by issuing shares to their employees and executives. Um, They have not paid a dividend in the past, and they do not currently pay a dividend. They do not distribute money to shareholders through share buybacks. So the question that anyone investing in Amazon today, which I believe is valued at approximately $1.6 trillion. Yeah, about $1.6 trillion or 120 times its price to earnings ratio. Um, The question that investors in Amazon have to ask themselves is, will Amazon ever pay a dividend before it goes bankrupt? And I don't think Amazon investors are thinking about this question. Some certainly are. There's just so many of them. It's it's impossible to say something definitive like that to cover everybody. But I, when I talk to people about a company like Amazon, they say, well, look at the free cash flow. And they'll give me numbers like $20 billion in free cash flow or $50 billion in free cash flow. And the problem I have is that those numbers don't make sense. If it was truly free cash flow at such a high degree, then there's no way that Amazon can reinvest all that money profitably at the high rates of return that investors are seeking. If it is, it is truly extraordinary of how valuable Amazon is as a company. It would be amazing if they're able to invest at a high rate of return for such a long period of time that is implied by their current stock price. We're talking about two or three additional decades of high growth implied by their current stock price at $1.6 trillion. But think about what I've talked about today about intrinsic value. What does it mean for intrinsic value? In order for the intrinsic value of Amazon 
to be at least $1.6 trillion. That means that the net present value of all future distributions of cash must be at least $1.6 trillion. Now, let's assume our discount rate is 0%. Now, listeners of this podcast know I like to use 10% as my discount rate. Let's assume that we don't care to discount future cash flows. We just simply say that all cash flows, both now and into the future for infinity, is equal. That I'm willing to say that $100 given me today in a dividend is is exactly as valuable as $100 given me to me 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 50 years from now. And we just say, what is the cumulative total of dividends that Amazon will pay to shareholders throughout their entire lifetime as a company? I do not believe that it is likely that that number will exceed $1.6 trillion. I would consider it exceedingly unlikely that Amazon will ever pay out $1.6 trillion in dividends to its shareholders, especially on a per share basis. When you consider that each and every year, the number of shares is increasing, which means that hurdle rate rises every year. So if they dilute shareholders by 1% or 2%, then that means that $1.6 trillion hurdle increases every year and needs to offset any dividends they eventually pay. Any other calculation would simply mean that Amazon's a Ponzi scheme, which I'm not willing to make that sort of accusation. And so when you were trying to think about this, though, is even if you refuse to discount future cash and you simply say all future cash distributed at any point in the future is equivalent to cash received today. What is your confidence level that Amazon will distribute $1.6 trillion in dividends to its shareholders cumulatively for its entire history as a company? My confidence today, if you had to ask me, I had to put a number on it. I'd say somewhere between 10 and 20%. I think there's a chance. I'm not certain that they won't. I'm not certain that Amazon won't pay dividends eventually. I'm not certain that they won't start paying large dividends at some point in the future. But I'm not confident in it. 10 to 20% is a really low confidence number. Now, other investors might have higher confidence levels, and that's why they invest. But I look at companies like that that don't pay a dividend and whose CEO has constantly stated and talked about this idea of being in a day one philosophy, which means he's always going to reinvest in the future. He's always going to invest for the next new thing. I'm just not confident I'm ever going to see my money back if I'm investing in Amazon. I think that the CEO wants to keep that company around forever constantly invest in the next new thing, and it does not appear that dividends to shareholders are a priority. Versus with like Buffett, which is your most easily recognizable comparison, has always talked about the importance of dividends. He's invested in companies where he receives dividends, and he knows that's what leads shareholders to get wealth. He deferred them for decades because he thought he could increase the returns for shareholders that kept the money retained. But I'm not confident that's the view that's seen by Amazon's CEO, the richest person in the world, Jeff Bezos. Now, he's certainly done amazing things. 
But will he pay $1.6 trillion in dividends to Amazon's shareholders? I don't think so. But I want to leave you again with that final statement for the show today and ask, how much would you pay to own a bond that has a 0% interest rate with no interest payments and that will default prior to returning your principal? There's no fundamental difference between equity that doesn't distribute cash ever and a bond with a 0% interest rate that defaults prior to returning principal. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope it has been value to, for you. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 90. I hope you have learned in this show about what I think about the definition of intrinsic value. Even if it differs from yours, I hope it has challenged you to think and consider your own investing process. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Hinegar, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.